This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number, what are we up to, 1159 I think. 1158. Eight, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Today's episode is entitled Old Soldiers. Our podcast title is Even Stranger Things. <laughs> so, for obvious reasons, we're going to be uh, having a look at the new Stranger Things Season 2, which Megan has watched all of. Yes, I tidied that up in quick succession, although I had waited because obviously, as you know, it came out a week or so ago. But we were Ragnarokking then. Exactly. But I did also feel there was a part of me that knew as soon as I'd watched it, then there'd be no more new episodes to look forward to or watch. Like, once it was watched, it was watched. I don't know, it was a silly thing. But anyway, I got started, whipped through them all, and, uh, yeah. And here we are. Well, speaking of oddities, I have watched the next two Philip K. Dick Electric Dreams episodes. Oh, lovely. Uh, the fifth and the sixth episode to the ten-episode run. Um, I'm going to get a little spoilery here. Sorry, Megan. That's okay. No, <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, number five was entitled Real Life and was very loosely based on the Philip K. Dick story exhibition pieces, like fairly loosely. Yeah, so I think they they pick and choose how closely they want to align. Mm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I can see why they they went for more of a a virtual reality take on this one rather than time travel because it's it's more now. Yeah, yeah. An an update rather than a Mm. a tossing out of the old... Uh, uh, Anna Paquin and Terence Howard were in it. Oh, I like both of them. Uh, or as I know them, Rogue and First War Machine. <laughs> oh, yeah, First War Machine. <laughs> in the um, in the story, there are two time-crossed people, we'll say. Uh, a future policewoman, played by Anna Paquin, and a near-contemporary tech billionaire, Terence Howard. And each of them, in their separate times, go on virtual vacations where they experience each other's lives. And the question is, where does reality lie? (laughs) Uh, The future world's rather pointedly Blade Runner-esque with flying cars flitting through a towering city whose spires are awash with giant holographic advertisements. And to muddy the waters a bit, they uh, have them both encounter the same set of criminals. I don't think they quite carried this one off. And to be honest, the premise has been explored quite a bit in science fiction and often, I think, to better effect. It seemed a bit awkwardly self-conscious, quite clunkily self-referential, dropping a, a pointed line about one simulation being like a science fiction fantasy. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a little aside and you go, oh, please. We didn't need that no. overt, yeah. We kind of figured that. Number six was titled Human Is, again, based on a, a K. Dick story, but of the same name this time. Uh, in the kind of move that would later inform Avatar's Pandora invasion and numerous Doctor Who serials, the humans are stripping the the alien world Rexor for a mineral that is desperately needed back on Earth. Rexor is inhabited by energy beings who can take over human bodies. 
and Brian Cranston plays an emotionally abusive human colonel yeah. who leads a raid on Rexall and comes home literally more and less than the man who left. The twist is fairly obvious and involves his wife. Uh, still, it's quite fun seeing Brian Cranston play the part and all the other actors, including uh, Liam Cunningham, too, is in there. <laughs> they all do quite well with that. But what I'm beginning to wonder, these are classic Philip K. Dick stories. Uh-huh. Uh, these particular ones, I think, come from the 1950s. Now, these tropes are classics because of writers like Philip K. Dick. If you've read a few of his stories over time and... Uh, the many spin-offs inspired from those. I almost said spinner. <laughs> uh, you kind of get that... You feel a bit like these are retreads, even though these are the originals. Yeah. You know that feeling I had when I was watching John Carter the, of Mars? Mm-hmm. Um, thinking, I've seen all this before in, in other movies, but the reason why is because those tropes were laid down at the turn of that century. There was something else I remember we were talking about and we're like, oh, you know, and it feels so... Um I think it was Valerian, yeah. and then often that was kind of the source of a lot of tropes that came out. But then, because we're more familiar with the sort of ancestors of it, not mm. ancestors, you know, the next generation of it, that we feel like it seems old hat when it was actually the kind of original concept. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame, really. Well, I mean, descendants—that's what it's I was going one for. thing reading it in a book, going back and reading it now because you you see it in the context of yeah. writing, and you think, yeah, fair enough, I understand. But watching it now, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm quite there for it. Oh, no. (laughs) So uh, there's not many episodes left. Like I said, we're um, six in and there's Mm. only ten. So we'll Mm. see where they go from there. Now, speaking of anthology shows, I've heard that writer and director Jordan Peele's company, Monkey Paw Productions, has been commissioned by CBS to produce a new series of the Twilight Zone anthology series. Yes, I saw that also. Mm. Possibly for the CBS all-access platform that also streams Star Trek Discovery, in the US at least. Jordan Peele is the director of the clever, clever horror movie satire Get Out. Now, that's the Twilight Zone's been an iconic since the Rod Serling created initial five-year run in black and white on CBS from 1959 to 1964. And the Twilight Zone's actually been revived twice before now in attempts to further the original's cult following that span off into comic books, a feature film, a magazine, in-print anthologies, stage shows, pinball machines and even theme park rides and a radio series. The second run extended from 1985 to 1989 and the third from 2002 to 2003. And parallel to this, Warner Brothers has also been trying to get a feature film up based on The Twilight Zone. Just as in the 1960s, a TZ reboot won't be alone now as an anthology series. Back then, there was The Outer Limits and so on. And now we have Black Mirror and Electric Dreams. Yeah. And the advantage of a thology series, of course, is that the stories are generally standalone. You don't generally need an ongoing cast. Although, just as a sideline, American Horror Story is a bit of a hybrid. It uh, cycles actors through different seasons. Yeah. And also a single season story arc show. Well, it's a bit of um, Cloud Atlas, actually. Mm. They were doing that. The challenge is that you need strong stories and actors who hit the ground running for their single episode. So, you know, I'm not against it. No, I think it's a good model. Hmm. 
And here's one that I never saw coming. Oh. To uh, quote the Mandarin. Or, um, <laughs> <laughs> you still love that, don't yeah. you? Oh, you'll never see me coming. <laughs> Trevor Slattery. <laughs> Lord of the Rings television series. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Confirmed? Well, the Tolkien estate, Amazon, Prime and Warner Brothers have reportedly been chatting about it, but it's at such an early stage that it's said they're still sorting out rights issues. Yeah, there's a lot of planned, rumoured across all these headlines, so yeah, we'll see what yeah. comes to fruition. i got to say, I haven't run into anyone who thinks this is a good idea so far. No. That, that came to mind because... You're I th- unlikely to, I think. <laughs> that came to mind because of Sean Astin in... Um, yeah, of course. Stranger Things. So I think that... This is China Mieville, author of Perdido Street Station and The Scar, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR-FM. Uh, all right, so I'm looking at a DVD here, and this is one of those ones that, that appealed to me when I saw it in a catalogue, <laughs> uh, just because of its, um, it, it's, uh, its little catchphrase, The Walking Dead Meets Sharp. <laughs> As in oh dear. Richard Sharp. It's, yeah. And it's got a Napoleonic soldier on the front cover who's clearly a zombie. So I thought, hmm, it's called Fallen Soldiers and uh, this particular one's directed by Bill Thomas. He also wrote it and it's from uh, 101 Films on the DVD label. The only extras on it is a small making-of documentary. It's Belgium in 1815. John Cross, a British soldier on the run and desperate, enters a horse-drawn carriage and bails up its married occupants. There, in the confined quarters of the rocking vehicle, he spins an astonishing tale of horrific experiments being carried out by the French army against captive soldiers and civilians. Mon Dieu! (laughs) Well, this is a zombie movie and a very low-budget one. And we've seen this kind of riff on the subject endless times before. What set this one apart a little bit for me from some of its rotting kin is that it's mostly fairly well acted, the dialogue's actually pretty well written, and the deep historical period of the Napoleonic War makes the best of the limited budget by value adding with a lot of period-era costumes and props, sourced courtesy the director's own collection and doubtless uh, reenactment group connections as well. Bill Thomas has been in the art department of a lot bigger productions. Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Guardians of the Galaxy and Harry Potter. Armies have been tinkering with raising the dead across the ages, well, fictionally at least. I've seen it tried on by the modern US Army, the Cold War and World War II Soviet armies and, of course, both Great War and Nazi-era Germans. I rather expect by now, if you look closely at any veterans' parade, you might find some very unusually heavily redacted unit banners being carried by some rather unorthodox old soldiers who might be shambling along rather than marching proudly. Uh, In manpower terms, of course, it makes entirely good weird science and sense to resurrect the dead. (laughs) As Napoleon once said, the old guard dies, but it does not surrender, and just as well because it will unlive to fight another day. Telling the story from the contained space of the carriage in flashbacks is a prudent dodge, and they mostly carry it off. There's not really enough zombie action, which is a shame, as their special effects makeup is quite up to scratch. 
and there's a bit of an abrupt ending. But otherwise, I think uh, reasonable credit is due to the writer and the director, Bill Thomas, and his brother, Ian. Uh, and the two uh, lead actors, Matthew Neal and Eve Pearson, they carry Le Lion's share of the acting and they're quite convincing, even if there isn't a Frenchman in sight in the entire film in terms of uh, an actual French actor. Uh, so, you know, it, this was um, modestly priced. I think I got it at JB, somewhere like that. And, you know, if you're on the quest for um, uh, slightly more unusual zombie films with a bit of uh, verisimilitude in its um, period setting. This one might tickle your fancy briefly, but don't expect a whole lot of uh, mm-hmm. zombie stuff. It's more actually going for a story, a real what? story. And I know, I know. <laughs> That's, I, I think watching this, you know, this deserved actually a, a bigger treatment. Mm. But, um, yeah, I think and considering they also did it fairly quickly too. Um, I was on board with this. It's not a hell yeah or a yeah. Uh, murder yeah. It's um, it's okay. <laughs> Fallen Soldiers by <laughs> Bill Thomas. I run across a lot of these um, low budget zombie and mm. vampire movies, and I'm not even really a vampire f- movie fan, but it just works out that way. Um, definitely a zombie movie fan, of course. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll give that a shot, mm. or a, a musket ball, as the case may be. Wow! Hey, space buddies. I'm Danny John Jules. I play the cat on Red Dwarf. And I got to tell you that listening to Zero G is fashionable as wearing knee-length socks with thongs. Zero G, industrial strength sci-fi pum-pum on three triple R. It's a good vocal exercise, what <laughs> Danny John Jules does there. All right, now uh, I've got um, two comics here. They are Marvel Max comics, which means they do have explicit content. It's uh, <laughs> no prizes for guessing what kind of explicit content. It's Punisher, the platoon. And these uh, follow on the successful boot prints of many other Marvel Max comics, very grown-up sort of things, allegedly. Um, now, Punisher, the platoon is written by Garth Enos and the art is by Grand Parlov, uh, pencils and inks, and Jody Belair is the colour colorist, with Rob Steen being the letterer. Now, part of this team has worked on the um, Marvel Max ones before, quite often actually, and I think, if memory serves me, they also were instrumental in the Fury Max one, which was similarly gritty and grim. The story is quite simple, um, at least initially, because I've only read two of them so far. Um, there's a non-fiction author called Michael Goodwin. Now, he's written a book about his brother who died in the Second Southeast Asian War, and also it features the Punisher, Frank Castle, who are connected. Um, now, he's not satisfied with the story that he wrote and realised that he's never delved into Frank Castle's first tour of duty in Vietnam as a a new officer. So it feels like he's told part of the story but not the start of it. So he's gone around interviewing surviving members of Castle's first platoon. Um, And if it's anything to do with a punisher, you know that surviving is always going to be an operative word. Uh, He's also managed to interview General Giap, now, he's quite a famous Vietnamese leader 
and also a female cadre leader, Lee Kwong, who played, um, who also who, who also wants uh, Frank Castle's hide for an airstrike that he called in on her and her comrades. Now, I found this story was very confronting and tells you a lot about um, the Punisher, even though he is pretty much drawn and scripted as solid and formidable as um, as well as a, well as a castle basically he is you know the sort of person who's just like that uh, every now and then though the colorist actually I've got to really um, point out the work of the colorist in this one uh, um, uh, Jody Belair that's the thing that really struck me with this story um, she has uh, managed to capture the punishing daylight of the Vietnamese countryside, also the uh, thousand shades of green in the jungle, uh, and the nighttime scenes have got this blue wash that reminds me of day for night filmmaking. Yeah, so really a beautiful job that they've done in the colouring, as well as the pencils and the art's fine too. You know, it's it's it all comes together there, um, and it's also very poignant because they are interviewing the um, the grunts, the surviving grunts in the modern age. Uh, and, of course, we're going back in time there. So you see them as old men in a bar and also as the uh, the, um, the poor uh, soldiers stuck in that terrible quagmire. Uh, it reminds me of a little bit of the, uh, the Fury Max because I think there was, um, there was one of those stories where uh, they, Nick Fury did hook up with, the, with Frank Castle in Vietnam. So this kind of explores more of that. Uh, it is quite a savage comic um, but I feel like it does give balance to both sides of the conflict in spite of it being extremely bloody handed of course as it would be uh, so if you're into um, Punisher stories and you're waiting for the regular Punisher comic to tick over into a new story arc where Frank gets his hands on the war machine armour <laughs> which uh, my mind is just totally boggled by that concept um, might want to check out the Max Comics Punisher the Platoon. As I said, I've seen the first two issues and they're pretty solid stories. In the marmalade forest, forest. between the make-believe trees. G'day, I'm Brett McKenzie. I played an In elf in Lord of the Rings. My dad played Ellen Dole the King. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. And I have one thing to say. My name is Figwit the Elf. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And so we leave the marmalade forests of Vietnam and go on to some even stranger things. So, Megan, we have both seen some stranger Yay. things. Yes, so you're three episodes in, I understand. Yep. Okay, great. Emergent thoughts. Give me your initial vibe. Okay, I'm glad they had the recap. Yep. At the start of the... It's just dropped... The, 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 season, the series has just dropped on Netflix uh, last week. Yes. Um... I, I am glad they had the recap because it reminded me of lots of things about it. Uh, yeah, there's actually plenty that I'd forgotten yeah, about yeah. season one. But. This is really odd for me. It's strange. Um, I have watched a couple of episodes on the television, not streaming, and I've also watched an episode on a device. Mm. Uh, this is new to me. I've only watched a couple of things on a device. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I can't... A phone is too small. Yeah, yeah. And, and would break my rule of no phone. Because <laughs> you don't have a phone, do you? No, no, we've been over this before. People, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, Minion, Just for mentioning wanted to, that. Just wanted to reiterate that. Uh, yeah, how did you find it on the iPad? On the, on the device, watching on a device, um, 
Actually, it worked all right on that size screen. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go smaller than that. No. Have you, have you watched much on I on do, the phone? actually. I sometimes, I don't ever really watch on my phone, my yeah. smartphone device. Yeah. But I have a tablet device, you could say almost the same as yours. Mm. Um, and I do watch a bit of on that on Netflix or streaming or whatever. I find it's mainly better for me if I'm, I like to watch things in the background. Yeah. So if I'm cooking, which happens rarely, um, I might prop up my device there. Oh, oh my God. OMG. Same as me when I'm washing the dishes. Yeah. Uh, you know, anywhere I can prop it carefully away. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of nice to have that there. Usually those are things like um, background shows that I don't need yeah. to pay attention to. But sometimes if I'm traveling, I will only take it with me and it's much easier to watch on that or traveling um, in on planes and yeah. trains and stuff like that. And I, There's certain things I'd watch, Yeah. but there's... Um, there's other things that I would prefer not, not to. to yeah, yeah. yeah, big stuff. Just like you as wouldn't a want, choice. You wouldn't watch Thor Ragnarok on it or something like that. No, well, not for the first time, no. no. Even things like um, I started watching American Gods on through the Prime app mm. and I still like it still looked amazing, but I was like, obviously I'm going to miss some of the effect by watching it on this screen. But, you know, Ira Glass watches things exclusively on his mini device. So okay. if it's good enough for Ira... <laughs> Well, one of the things I noticed is because now there's an app that actually it lets you download mm. onto the device yeah. because it just chews up data. No, it's such a good option, especially if you are travelling. Like I downloaded a bunch of Netflix things onto my um, iPad mm. <laughs> and so it was really good for that. I mm. like that they've got that functionality so now. We've had our little side excursion into the technological wonderland that is streaming and downloading. <laughs> All things um, are available to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Stranger Things too. Mm. So you watched it partly on the device. Yeah, and partly on the, the yeah. big screen. Uh, I didn't feel it suffered on the device, by the way. No, it and doesn't. And actually it was easier because there was no buffering. Yeah. <laughs> which can be an issue. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, I, I, I like the way it's, it's, it's heading. Yeah. Um, they're upping the ante on the monsters yes. considerably. Yeah. Uh, I felt... I felt almost like I wandered into a different series for a moment, like I was watching The Mist because <laughs> there's a big, big, big monster in this that yes. you think, oh. Which is in a lot of the artwork Ooh. that they've been using to yes. promote. So that's not a surprise really. Yeah. Um, I, I like the fact that the early episodes were informed by Halloween. It just seems to work. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's an 80s show, they Halloween. Work, you know. They work a lot on the tropes and they yeah. do lean in a lot to that stuff. And I think... Um, Obviously, for people like us, it's a big draw card. I do know some people who are like, oh, it's it's sort of, it's become a bit too tropey, a bit too science fiction. Like, yeah, like self-referential. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I of, don't know. Of course, our, our, our crew of uh, intrepid uh, goonies. Yes. <laughs> uh, do Ghostbusters for Halloween. Oh, yes. so good. I mean, just perfect. Like, you know, it's a visual thing. I feel like having things that you work into your plot that just look cool on screen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, of course, they go to their school dressed up as Ghostbusters and, and they didn't get the memo that said no dressing up this year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't I you just feel love them? them so much, I think. Uh, yeah. But I feel like I'm watching It. For, yeah. For the reason that one of the cast members is in It. They do elements of the It stuff. I personally feel like um, in season one... A lot of that stuff was done so well. Hmm. Um, but there is, and I'm not going to be doing any kinds of spoilers or anything, but I think in general there's 
and this is something I have a problem with because I don't want it to turn into a show. There's a, a show that I want to watch and then there's a, a completely different show that they could go in that direction of and that's not a show I want to watch. Mm. Um, they start to move away a little bit more from that trope, which obviously I have a problem with, um, into some more individual. They split the party yeah. and I've never been a fan of that. I think the strength is in that core group and in those relationships. Yes, because Eleven is now sort of... Yeah, yeah. Doing other I mean, stuff. it's not going to be a surprise that she is in this season. Yeah, she was very popular, a breakout character from the first one. She's done all the PR for the new season. Like, w- that's not a surprise. She has hair now. There's a spoiler. She does. But there's a show where Eleven is the main character and it follows her doing a bunch of stuff and that's not really what I'm tuning in for. Eventually, if she stays there long enough, she'll have big hair. <laughs> yeah. There is a, there's a shot. I fixated on it for some reason. There's a shot uh, where... Um, one of the townsfolk um, is playing with her kid on a, a swing and she's yeah. backlit and she has the biggest hair. Yeah. It's just like this massive cloud of hair. Vicky <laughs> Wizard's so 80s. Uh, there's some new characters in here. Um, uh, Sean Aston will call yes. a new character, his character. And um, a, 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 a new gamer girl. Yeah, Max. Max. And um, Mad her, Max, her brother Billy, yeah, who you would have met. I mean, I, I like Max actually. She's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure entirely about why some of these characters needed to be introduced. Sean Aston, but Bob, I'm fine with. <laughs> yes. Bob, I'm fine with. And as the series progresses, um, he plays a role. That's all I'll say. But. I'm not sure about the other kid characters and I'm mm. not sure. Like, I mean, I think it's to create some some more high school conflict both within the younger group and the older group, the older group being Steve and Nancy and Jonathan. Yeah. Um, so I can see it's just an easy way to shake things up for them outside of the supernatural. But, um, I mean, really what I'm tuning in for this season is the full redemption of Steve. I mean, we're in for, <laughs> you're in for a lot of good Steve stuff. Yeah. Steve is really the shining light that comes out. It's definitely all about Steve. There is a. That's not really a spoiler. I kind of there's a there's a, a, a new little beastie in this, um, yeah. which is very eighties. Reminds me of Gremlins. Now I'm thinking know. about. I've realised how much they cover in the first three episodes because I wasn't sure if you would have been up to some of those things yet. But yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. That's actually not a bad little trope, uh, and 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 period appropriate. Last scene on, not fringe. Um, God, I can't remember the name of it now. It will come to me eventually. Um, subsurface or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, where they found a little creature. And, and it's, it's, it's you know, plays a role. Yeah, it's not going to be what it, <laughs> you know, nobody thinks that it's just a, a cute little beastie. Actually, they do, but it's not going to stay that way. We know that. We, you can tell. Yeah. But, I mean, Dustin gets more um, of his own stuff to do. And yeah. he was a fan favourite, a Megan favourite as well. I like the sheriff, actually. Oh, yeah. Hopper he, he, is a great character. A character. And um, I really think that David Harbour, I believe, he's he's perfect for that. And I mm. think, you know, there's so many good dynamics and I think one thing the show does really well that it probably shouldn't, it should get credit for is the juggling of so many stories and relationships. Mm. Like, if you look at it, sometimes my issue is it has too many branches off a main storyline and people are doing lots of things in parallel but they always do seem to bring them together and they always do thread them together at the right time and they generally balance the amount of time you're seeing each person do 
what their specific storyline is. And I say generally because there's an episode once we finish the end of the season that I'd like to discuss with you. Mm. Um, they generally balance all of that stuff fairly well and then bring them all back in together for the main ensemble. So I think in terms of that, they do a very fine job. That being said, I do not like when they're all separate doing their own thing. And um, there's not as much Mike in this season, and I think Mike is an underrated. Mm. He plays the straight man, but I think he does a very good job. I like the uh, the score of this season too. I, I'm enjoying the uh, the music. Uh, I still feel like I'm watching a John Carpenter movie with all the synth yeah, and stuff but at any stage. I love that's, the synth. That's, that's what that's what it's there for. And of course, Halloween gave us the opportunity to have all those '80s Halloween yeah <laughs> costumes. I mean, and write that in like a hundred percent. Like, yeah. just have fun with it. Like, yeah. I think that's so cool. Um, there's yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're here on Zero G. We are talking about the Stranger Things. Uh, season two, which has dropped on Netflix, yes, and uh, actually when nine you episodes, it, it's been uploaded to Netflix. We're downloading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, don't talk to me about downloading. <laughs> Another technical thing. I will eventually be getting NBN back again. Oh wow! I had it, then I moved out of an area, then I moved back into an area, and you've got to get it all sorted out sorted again. Out again, yeah. and. Mm-hmm. NBN, not a bloody network. Anyway, uh, back to the Stranger Things. Have you noticed how much overlap there is between the real world and the upside-down world in this season? It's very, very... um, They drop it in in a very coordinated fashion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's still spooky to suddenly find yourself opening a door and looking out into this mirror universe but that's covered in weeds and vines. And that floating... They do so well of portraying when you're in the upside-down with that, like, floating trash bag yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on that, I will say in terms of for someone who had literally almost no screen time or things to do in season one, I was like, oh, you know, Will, Will's character, mm-hmm. you know, who's this kid going to be? Is he going to be any good? I, I will say, and you'll see more and more as the season goes on, because he's given plenty to do, he does a really, really good job. Mm. Um, and he has some really great expressive kind of, um, yeah, moments. Mm. So, and I mean, Winona's always amazing. Um, <laughs> but they, they have a really lovely energy and I think because this season two you have more time to see that stuff rather than her just kind of clutching at a phone inside an empty house. Yeah. I thought actually Winona and um, uh, and Sean Aston have a really good chemistry going there. Yeah. It's kind of wacky. Yeah. It's like, you know how you were saying before, how it feels like you're watching a different, there's another movie there. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm watching the uh, the rom-com version <laughs> of Sean and, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting. And, of course, Sean Aston, he's, um, mm. you know, um, weird royalty. Yeah. Because of uh, John Aston, his father. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But and he's such a he's a nice addition, I yeah. think, to the series. Yeah. Um no, I think it does a lot. I mean, all the good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff coming up that I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on. I'm wondering about the sheriff was I can't remember his backstory. Was he in the military or something at some stage? I'm not sure. I can't yeah. remember. Cuz I see him do this thing with um a tripwire and a rat trap and uh, yeah. and a bullet making a um you know, making a... Uh, a tripwire. A, a tripwire, basically. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty clever. 
Yeah. How did he know how to do that? I think he's one of those characters who he does have this very rich backstory that you Mm. only see dribs and drabs of sometimes. If this were a Stephen King novel, we'd... And you know what? Because they're echoing that 80s series Mm. and and movie thing, it does feel Stephen King, doesn't it? It does. I think... And, I mean, those title cards for each episode is... um, there, it's like that's a Stephen King font, essentially. Yeah. And I think, I mean, but this is my concern is that it's doing all the things that a Stephen King does really well and I think is a really lovely package. Yeah. But it could, be, it's kind of like what happened with the series Heroes. Mm. Those early seasons were so well contained and thought out and then it kind of lost its way a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to sell it out now. I still loved season two. Like, it sounds like I didn't. But I think there's a couple of directions it could go in and, and I'm, I'm be interested to see what they're going to do from here. Mm. I, I kind of almost feel, to keep it with the 80s vibe, they need to eventually uh, dump the whole town into the mm, upside down, down yeah. uh, and, 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 you know, almost contain them in there and have this, yeah. like... Um, g- great sort of final season of them all battling through that. And that would be yeah. very 80s. You know. Like a big finale season. Yeah. I will say too something clever. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of visual tropes in season one. There's some good visual stuff in season two that they've yeah. they've made happen. Yeah. So, And what about all this... Um, uh, things are... Uh, Affected in one in a large area, which brings in this other conspiracy mm. and um, and the fact that we're being monitored while they're watching while they're making phone calls and stuff. Mm. I bet you love all that. You oh like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Like I, I will always like things like this because I think um, the tropes are solid, and if they're done well, I like like what's not. It's like Tarantino, yeah. you know. You know what he's doing, but he does it so well that you still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I feel that way about Stranger Things. I think it's it's really leaning into what what it's known for. Yeah, I think they've done well with their second season, as far as I can see so far. Do you concur? Does it? Yeah, stay consistent? I think overall, um, I really enjoyed the second season. Mm-hmm. I have some issues with it, which I think will be good to discuss as a whole. Maybe mm. once you finish, we can just do a quick recap. Yeah. Some pacing stuff. And, you know, if, if you've watched the whole season, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, but overall, I think, like, coming coming up against um, how great the first season was and what a big surprise that was, they've actually backed it up pretty well because it's never going to delight. It's like Guardians of the, Guardians of the Galaxy. The second one's great, but it's never going to be as delightful as the first one because it came out of nowhere and you people weren't expecting it. Um, but I think in... in the best you can... Uh, the, the, what I hope for in, in sequels is, is it's different. Yeah. Creatively different, but still great. Yeah. And and I thought um, Guardians 2 was still great. Yeah. And it was very different. Yeah. In, in, but it's still funny. <laughs> well, and that's it. I think know what you do well yeah. and keep doing that yeah. and introduce them. And I mean, I think they've obviously looked at what fans really engaged with in season one and they've mm. tried to bring more of that out and tried to make those characters more um, featured in the story. Or, um, or find something else that you can do equally well. Yeah. And change direction entirely. Um, I've seen series, seasons, shows do that. Sometimes it's because they lose a character mm. or an actor goes or something like that. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, I think if you're talking king of someone who takes a creative risk, be that a creative episode, something a bit outside the norm, moving things. Like, I mean, Joss Whedon is king of that. Like, yeah. if you look at all of the different episodes that he's had in the past that just did something totally new and fresh, um, I think that even that can reinvigorate things a bit. Mm. 
Um, but, I mean, I think sometimes it doesn't work. When we, we'll talk about that later. Are we, are we up to Justice League opening soon? Yeah, Very are, soon, I believe, yeah. yeah. I'm being inundated with, like, Black Panther trailers and Justice League and all of that, so... Punisher series and... Yeah. What are your... Are you... A hot, are you hotly anticipating Justice League or wary and apprehensive? Look, after after the the splendor what that was the Wonder Woman movie, I'm I'm really conflicted because I really liked the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. Um, and but, but I hated Batman versus Superman and um, what was it called? Uh, Man of Steel. No, um, you know the the Injustice League, the bad guys, uh, Suicide, oh, Squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was rubbish. So, yeah, I don't know where I stand. But Joss has done the uh, the final edit on this one, so you know. Ah. We'll see. I mean, and I like Ezra Miller. I really think he is. I think he's a great actor. I've not really seen him do much comedy, but I think um, if his flash is good, <laughs> if his flash is good. That sounds a bit inappropriate. I, I have an open mind. Yeah, I'm going into it. Yeah. Um, with an open mind, so. Yeah. Um, Even though Cyborg is obviously a stand-in for Iron Man. But, <laughs> not quite. Maybe, you know, if I want to be in, in universe, he's a stand-in for Deathlock, the demolisher well. from the Marvel Universe. Never mind. It doesn't matter. I know all these things got parallels. As I Are you How, but th- you're going to continue watching Stranger Things? Absolutely. Yeah. I've... I've I've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot stop now. I must find out what how it goes. Yeah. Besides, I've downloaded too many episodes. <laughs> I really, I really want to discuss with you once you've watched a bit yeah. more. There's a few things I'm keen to hear thoughts on. Yeah, we'll revisit it once it's all done. Yeah, and we I can do a spoily version once yeah. people have had time to watch it. Mm. Okay, Barry Brunetti coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.